G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. You come in honesty, God moves you to where you need to be. But if you never come in honesty, God can't move you. And if you never talk to God, where's the activity in your life? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. Last time, Pastor Jeff started looking at the parable in Luke 11, verse 5, about going to a neighbour in the night for three loaves of bread. And now we're going to look at Jonah's story. It's all to highlight the high cost of a prayerless life. Let's continue now on Today with Jeff Vines. You think about Jonah for a moment. God told Jonah, one of my favorite stories, four little chapters, the Old Testament. God told Jonah to go preach where? Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go preach in Nineveh because that would be like asking Dodger fans to preach the gospel to angel fans. And there's a part of Dodger fans that don't want angel fans to be saved and go to heaven. And so, so, so Jonah resists. And because he resists, he's swallowed by a big fish. And then he finally preaches to Nineveh and he stands up and tells them, God is going to judge this city and is going to destroy you. But he says it under his breath. It's kind of like, and I'm glad, and I hope I'm there to see it. That's his attitude. He goes and he preaches. But the problem is they believe and they repent. And a great revival strikes out in Nineveh. Do you think Jonah's happy about that? No. You think he thanks God for his goodness and mercy? No. Does he pray for the Ninevites' spiritual growth? No. Do you know what he does instead? But this was displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry that God didn't destroy Nineveh. Nice guy, huh? Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarsus at the beginning. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. That sounds like my kind of God. Now, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better to die than to live. Isn't that amazing? I just want to die. And after that, After this amazing campaign, Jonah goes up on the hillside. He sits down. He sulks. He wants to die. Just kill me. God, kill me now. And to make matters worse, the sun comes out and it's hot. Now, this is interesting. You know what God does? He causes instantaneously a vine to grow up over Jonah's head to give him shade. You think God could have dealt with Jonah, could have said a lot of things to him right now, but instead he meets Jonah right where he is. You're complaining about shade? Let me send you some shade. And while Jonah is watching and waiting to see if God's either going to destroy the Ninevites or him or both or neither, he gets the shade. God sends him comfort. And then you know what happens? God sends a worm and the worm eats the vine and the vine withers and the vine dies 
and now Jonah wants to die again. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on his head or the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. What's your problem? This is Jonah at prayer. Think about it. Isn't it amazing? He's talking to God about shade. He's asking God to die because he has no shade. He could move. There are other trees, but no, he prefers just to die. Get over with it. No shade. The vine is gone. Listen to Jonah. I like the vine. The worm came. I hate that worm. And now I just want to die. Here's what's amazing to me. Somebody got that. Thank you. here's, Here's what's amazing to me in the passage. That God is quite willing to engage Jonah in conversation about shade. I love that. C.S. Lewis says, when you come to God, you ought to lay before God what is in you, not what ought to be in you. You see what simplicity and persistence, you keep coming back and you take a little part of God with you. Simplicity, until you learn to tell God what's really on your mind and stop manipulating him like we do each other in hopes we'll get something else, then the relationship can never evolve and grow. The Bible said, you tell God what is on your mind. I mean, when, why did we stop doing this? When I was a little boy, I did it. I had a a paper route, and there was a, a dog on Hickory Street. His name was Satan. Well, how, well, how do you name your dog Satan? <laughs> he, was a, he was a Doberman pincher, and he was ugly, and he was mean. The, the dog, I think he was Satan incarnate. I think he was. He was so mean. He bit so many children. Now, today, he'd been put down, or people would have been sued. But back then, well, sorry, my dog bit you for the 25th time. This dog was mean, and I would pray to God that God take Satan out. Remove him. And I would pray prayers like, you know, God just, I I pray that he would get hit by a car. No, no, God, a truck, a big truck. And I pray that he wouldn't die right away. He'd suffer first. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you're a kid and you, you come to God and you say what's on your mind. When my mom died, as I got older, I told God he made a big mistake. I told God what I thought and God moved me because in my simple, listen, because I was willing to be honest And in my simplicity and persistence, God moved me from where I was to where I needed to be. You come to God, you wait till you're spiritual, you're never going to pray. You wait till your motivations are correct, you're never going to pray. You come to God with who you are, you lay it out, and you say, God, I'm mad at you that I didn't get that job. I'm angry with you that I'm suffering economically speaking, and I'm not so happy about you or with you about my relationships either right now, my children. What's wrong with you? You come to God like that in simplicity and persistence, and things start to happen in your life. Simplicity. Persistence, why are they so important? Say, with him, say it in his head again. Simplicity, persistence. In simplicity, honesty. And by the way, my wife talks to God about everything. Absolutely everything. She will actually thank God for finding her a parking place right in front of the gym. <laughs> and I say to her, you know, God's too busy helping starving children over in Africa. Come on, why? you think he's busy trying to help you find a parking place in front of the gym? Here's the deal with that. yes. He's interested in both and it's not an either or every day, every simple thing God wants to hear because that simple face man, I got to tell you, she always gets parking places in front and I'm always walking. (laughs) Now here's the deal, simplicity and persistence, because without them, the third thing doesn't form without simplicity and persistence and relationship. Trust cannot evolve. Now stay with me. That's that's too high price to pay folks. I had a friend in college. His name was Dell. 
And everybody wondered why I was friends with this guy. We were so opposite. And they'd say, Jeff, why is this your friend? And I can't really explain it. But this guy, we were like soulmates. If, if there ever was a David and Jonathan, we were it, man. We were very close, but we were very opposite. And I, I look back now and I know, I know why. Because when you're a sanguine personality, the most important thing to you and a friend is loyalty. To know that when people are saying bad things about you, that your friend will step in and speak up for you. To know that whatever happens, they always got your back. That's what a friend is like. And that's what he was like for me, man. He, I, knew, I knew he had me. And Super Bowl weekend was coming, back in the day when the Cowboys were playing the Steelers. And we'd talked about for weeks going to Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. You, know, you ever been to Mr. Gaddy's Pizza? Big television screens and all this pizza buffet. We talked about it. The day was coming. And the Friday before Super Bowl weekend, we got like three feet of snow in Knoxville, Tennessee, which was unheard of. And Tennesseans respond to snow as Californians do to rain. Everybody panics. So nobody's driving. But my friend Dale grew up in Colorado. He said, man, I drive in this stuff half my life. Let's go. Give me your keys. He, had, he didn't have a car. I did. Oh, there, yeah, he, yeah, let's drive your car. <laughs> but you know, I gave him the keys because I trusted him. I just trusted this guy. We drove, got there, no accident. There's hardly any traffic. Good thing because we swerved a little bit on the other side a few times. We got to Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. It was open. We walked in. I think we were the only ones there. There might've been a couple other. I can't remember, but I know it was like deserted, but it was open, screens on, football games. We're just eating pizza. Halftime comes. Dale got up, walked away, came back, and he said this to me. He said, Jeff, I, I gotta go. I said, what? He said, I gotta go. I need you to trust me, but I'll be back. Well, I watched the second half by myself, ate a lot of pizza, game's over, store's about to close. The manager says, young man, you know, I can't stay open. These people wanna go home. But man, it's like minus 16 outside. I'm starting to get a little scared. Well, I, I can't walk back. It's 15 miles to the campus and there's no traffic to hitch a ride, no taxi. You know, I'm, I'm starting to be concerned. But I can tell you this. The reason that event is still in my mind, never once did I doubt he wouldn't show up or that he would, he would get somebody else to take care of me. I, I didn't, I really didn't panic. And I knew that if he wasn't there, there was a really, really good reason that he hadn't abandoned me. That I, did not, uh, I was not alienated, but there was a really good reason. I want, I want you to hear me on something. The only way, and I can't say that about just anybody else, but the only way that happens is through persistence, simplicity, and ultimately trust to where no matter what's happening, you trust the goodwill of the friend who's got your back. The reason so many of us, now prayer is not something where if you don't engage in it, God comes down and erases your name from the book of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it is this. So many of you, when the rug is pulled out from under you and your life is in a difficult situation, the reason you feel alienated, the reason you feel abandoned is because you don't know God that well. I'm sorry, that's hard, but it's true. That's why you have saints that no matter what they go through, the smiles on their face, their head is up. Why? Because they know that if God has not delivered them, there's a really good reason that God may not give them the good so that they may have what is best. But that only happens through trust and relationship. 
And there is too high a price to pay for you to go through your entire life feeling abandoned, alienated, and God doesn't care. But you feel that way because you've not engaged in the discipline of persistent relationship with simplicity and trust is never formed. You understand? So say it with me. God always wants what's best for me. Let's say it. God always wants what's best for me. One more time. God always wants what's best for me, which brings me to the second cost, the price. You will never know what it is like to ask for bread expecting a feast. Oh, I love this. If you don't engage in prayer, you'll never know what it's like to ask for bread, but expecting a feast. Jesus is communicating something very special. The neighbor goes and he says, can I have some bread? But he's expecting much more. Jesus is saying, that's what you ought to do with God. You go to him and say, I'd like this. In simplicity and honesty, you go a step further, but always expect him to give you more than that for which you ask. People come to me all the time. And they'll say, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, but I've engaged in prayer for a long time now, like 20 straight days I've prayed about this and God seems reluctant to give it to me. And I'm telling you that if you've got a relationship through persistence and simplicity that's yielded trust, then you're gonna know that if God hasn't given it to you, it's because he has something better for you. You say, well, give me an example. Two examples I often give people. Sometimes God doesn't give you the good thing. It may not be anything wrong with what you're asking for, but he doesn't give you the good thing because it may hinder the progress of the kingdom in your life. And he's not going to do that. I had a friend, Gary, that I played Little League Baseball with. Guy was super talented, very good looking, but he had one major problem. He had a mommy and daddy who did not know how to say no. And that's not a good thing. When he was 16 years old, because in Tennessee at that point you could drive at 16, he asked his mom and dad for a car for his birthday. Gee. His mom and dad didn't know how to say no, but if there's anybody that did not need a car for his birthday, Gary was reckless. He's a crazy man. And they bought him a brand new black with gold stripes Pontiac Camaro. You remember that car? Beautiful, Trans Am Pontiac, sorry, Trans Am. Remember that car? It was the car in the day. Within two weeks, he totaled it, wrecked it, and he was paralyzed from neck down for the rest of his life. If there's ever a child whose parents should have said, no, this will destroy you, I just ask a question. If God is our loving father and he wants what's best for you, doesn't he have the right to deny you something you think is good if he knows ultimately it will destroy you? He knows that job promotion is going to destroy your family. Should he give it to you? He knows that girl will distract you from spiritual things. Should he give her to you? He knows that more money is going to make you thirst for more monetary things rather than spiritual things. Should he give you more money? No. Your heavenly father knows what is truly good and wants to give you what is truly good. But that happens in trust. Second, it may short circuit what God is presently trying to accomplish in your life. Sometimes he says no because... He knows if he gives it to you, it's going to stop what he's doing. Now, you know what God is doing in all of our lives, right? Every life, every life, he's molding and shaping you into the image of his son so that he can use you for effective ministry. That is the goal of your life, right? And so if you ask for something that's going to short circuit that, he says no. How many in the crowd know Joey Versace? Anybody know my friend Joey? Joey, but Joey Versace... You might see him up here, and if you don't know Joey, you're going to say, who is that dude, man? Because he'll have sunglasses on, a toboggan. He'll be all covered up in church. And you'll, some of you older people will say, well, actually, some of you younger too. Man, dude, take the glasses off. Who are you behind the glasses? Come on, man. Well, Joey Versace has a rare skin disease. He's actually allergic to sunlight. 
So he has to cover everything up. Imagine that. He prays regularly. He prays that he would be healed. He's going to get married soon, not too long from now. And he prays, God, take this away from me. What I've noticed about Joey is he's incredibly relational. Everybody wants to be around Joey Versace. He walks in the room, it's like the room lights up. He has such a passion for people. He loves praying for people who are hurting. And the more I see Joey, the more I have to wonder, did God allow him to have a rare sensitivity to light that it might heighten his sensitivity to hurting people? Because that seems to be the impact. God could take away Joey's sensitivity to light, but in doing so, would he take away Joey's sensitivity to hurting people? And by the way, when do you persist the most in prayer? When you're hurting. Yeah, you got that right. You want something from God? You're hurting, man. You're going to be on that floor begging God to get involved. You think God doesn't know that? You think God's not going to allow from time to time a little pain to get your attention focused back on him so that he can do his work in you? That's what I believe Ephesians 3.20 means. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. More. You ask for the good, he gives you the best. I think God looks down at Joey Versace and says, Joey, you wanted convenience, but I'm giving you conformity. Your life may be a little bit more difficult, but I'm going to make you like Christ and use you for effective ministry. And anybody who's been around Joey knows, man, God's going to do something very special with that young man. And third and finally, and this is the end, I need your attention though. If you don't engage in persistent prayer with great simplicity, then you will never know what it's like to know the will of God because God won't be able to communicate it to you. I always thought when I was younger that prayer was a way to get God to do what I wanted him to do. The Bible portrays prayer in an entirely different light. It is the vehicle whereby God reveals what he wants to do to us, in us, and through us to get us on board with his plan. See, I think prayer, God, get on board with what I want. God says, well, you come to me with that honesty and over time, I'll change what you want to be what I want and our wills will merge, which leads me to believe then that God is just like my wife. (laughs) Think about it. Married many years and my wife has this uncanny ability that will come to a, a road in our lives and we have a tough decision to make and she'll be on one side of it and I'll be on the other so we won't be in agreement. And then over time, we'll keep talking and keep trying to work things out because we're a team and we get to the end and I find that we're doing what she wanted to do originally, but she has this uncanny ability to make me believe it was my idea all along. (laughs) That's God, right? That's God. I come with my idea and over time, he just shapes, conforms, and molds. Now, that's what he does with Jonah. Jonah says, dude, where's my shade? And here's how God responds. Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? Jonah says, yes, angry enough to die. You're concerned about this vine for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Shall I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, right and wrong, and also many animals? Isn't that interesting? An Old Testament passage that God actually is concerned about animals. And that's kind of cool, isn't it? There are animals there. Don't we kill them all? I like that. Here's the deal. While Jonah is praying for simplicity, sorry, in simplicity, while Jonah is praying about the vine, God moves him where he is and what he's praying about 
to where he should be and what should concern him. And he starts to pray for the Ninevites and their salvation. Isn't that beautiful? You come in honesty, God moves you to where you need to be. But if you never come in honesty, God can't move you. And if you never talk to God, surely where's the activity in your life? Now folks, this is the end of the sermon. I need you with me on this closing though. It's so crucial because I have lived this. And if you've ever lived it, man, it's special. It's so special. Stay with me. Do you know what it's like to hold your daughter in your arms and every night she's trying to breathe? When we lived in New Zealand, Auckland is the asthma capital of the world. And when my little daughter, Sion, when she was small, almost every night, and she probably won't even remember much of this, I'd go in her bedroom and I'd just watch her little chest try to get the air in. There's a commercial in New Zealand that says when you can't breathe, nothing else matters. And I want to tell you, if you've ever had asthma, that's true. And every night, folks, I got so tired of it. I'm there just watching her gasp for air. I'd take her to the hospital. They'd do a nebulizing treatment, bring her home. Within the hour, she was right back to where she was before. And I would pray every, God, not again, not again. This went on night after night. God, heal her. I'm doing your work here. I'm a missionary. Surely that counts for something. Please. God, heal my daughter. And every night, I'm starting to get frustrated with God. And I'm telling him, God, what's up with you, man? How hard would this be? And I do this night after night after night. And then one night, I'm praying. God, I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving New Zealand. My ministry's over. You haven't delivered, so I'm not going to deliver. And I'm talking to God. God, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, God spoke. Now, not audibly, but I knew what he was saying. And God said, is that so, Jeff? I got a question for you. How come you've been coming here every night since your daughter had asthma and praying for her physical well-being. But she's been in this world like eight years and I've never once heard you pray for her spiritual well-being. You're so concerned what her physical life is like. What about her soul, man? From that day forward, I started reading the Bible and the word to Delaney and Sion every night. And I believe that to a great extent, they are who they are today because their lives are founded on the foundation of the word. But let me tell you something. God would have never gotten my attention without some of the pain. And he, instead of giving me what is good, gave me what is best, because you know what happened about three weeks after that? Sion's asthma was cured. She's never had an asthma attack like that since. Amazing, amazing. Here, you hear what I'm saying? I think God, as soft and loving as he is, I think sometimes he wants to take your head in his hands and say, you don't pray. You don't spend time with me. You don't, through persistent prayer, engage in conversation with me. You don't, in simplicity, tell me what's on your heart and mind. You don't do any of those things. You're still saved, but I'm just saying, you don't do any of those things. And yet, when life becomes difficult, you want to discard me. You don't know what it's like to feel love because you don't know me. You feel alienated and abandoned because you don't know me, because we don't have relationship, and you aren't used to hearing my voice. So even when I speak, you don't know what it's like. Our God, we sing, is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Everybody, just stand where, where you are. We're going to pray a prayer together. This is a decision time for you right where you are. Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to repeat the prayer and I want you to say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. 
And don't say it if you don't mean it. But if you do, this is the time. I'm asking our church as a whole to go back to God. So repeat after me in your silence. God of wisdom, power, and love. Help me in my weakness. Give me the courage to come to you every single day. Help me to make a daily appointment with you. Help me to make that appointment a non-negotiable. Help me to find a very special place that is our place. Help me to find a little devotional that speaks my language. That changes my heart. Father, grow me in my relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. We hope that's encouraged you to come to God in prayer on a regular basis. There's real power in prayer. We've got more to come in this series. Our next message is looking at the unseen world. There is an unseen world that affects every area of your life, every day of your life. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.